Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. I have a question for you. Who here loves H-E-B? Like, raise your hand. You love H-E-B. I moved here about four years ago. It's actually about this week, four years ago, I got here. And when I first got here, I asked my friend, I was like, hey, where do you uh, shop for groceries? And he's like, uh, H-E-B. And I was like, okay, there's H-E-B. What are the other grocery stores? And he's like, Rob, once you go to H-E-B, you will never need another grocery store again for the rest of your life. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, right. And then I came in and I saw the light and I saw how incredible it is. So, uh, amen, amen. (laughs) We're at church now. So, uh, I spend a lot of time at H-E-B and uh, I was in uh, H-E-B a little while ago and I was in the like, I don't know, I can't remember where it was. I think it was like the barbecue sauce aisle, something like that. And uh, someone stops me and is like, hey, I know you. And I was like, oh man, how could they know me? It's a lot of different reasons. I've written some books and so I was like, probably know me from being an author. And so I was like, "Uh, do you know me from being an author? Uh, You know, I'm kind of a famous author, that sort of thing. They're like, no, that's not it. And I was like, okay. And so I was like, well, I'm a speaker. You know, I do a lot of speaking. I speak at the different One Chapel campuses. And so maybe you know me as a speaker. Do you know me as a speaker? And they're like, ah, that's not it either. And then I was like, ah, oh, well, I've got kids. I've got four daughters. Maybe you know me from my different kids, from my daughters. The guy's like, no. And he's like, wait, I know who you are. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're the One Chapel coffee mug guy. And so I've done all these things in my life, but on my tombstone, it'll probably say one chapel coffee mug guy. So I'll take it. Uh, I'm excited. This is the last week. Everybody say last week. This is the last week, the final week of our at the table. This table, by the way, is awesome. Way better than our table in Austin. Uh, We have like gluten-free bread and Welch's grape juice here. And so uh, I really like the Kyle table. It's great. Uh, but this is the last week of our At the Table series, and so um, I'm excited for this. Um, this is um, kind of to close this series out. I want to tell the story of Peter. And Peter, the, the Apostle Peter, uh, is one of the more iconic characters in Scripture. If Scripture, if the Gospel story was Star Wars, Peter would be Han Solo. If the Gospel story was Avengers, Peter would be Tony Stark. If the Gospel story was This Is Us, Peter would be Jack Person. If the Gospel story was history, Peter would be Alexander Hamilton. I know it's a little pop culture but I want you to understand that Peter is this, understanding Peter is a significant part of understanding our story. And I don't know where your story of faith is, where your story of Jesus is. Some of you may have been a Christian for a long time. I'm really here. I'm faithful. Some of you may be like, you know what? This is new to me. I'm just figuring this thing out. Some of you may have walked in thinking you were at Lion King and you're just like, oh, I'll stay for church, whatever. I don't know where you are in your Christian story, but I know to understand your own faith journey, Peter is a key part of that story because Peter is a complicated story that I think every Christian eventually goes to. I think every Christian eventually goes through a journey similar to what Peter went through. 
And so I'm going to unpack this story today. And I, before kind of working on this, being an at the table series, I never heard a series that kind of, or a sermon that kind of went all the way through Peter's life. But I'm going to do that. Like I'm a screenwriter. And so if I was writing a screenplay about Peter's life, this is the story that I would tell. And I'm going to tell it to you in five acts. Shakespeare wrote in five acts. And so I think to understand this story, uh, we can do it in five acts. And I want to invite you as well. Uh, we have message notes today. And so if you didn't get message notes, make sure you get some because uh, I'm going to have you actually, there's going to be fill in the blank questions that I give you the answers to. And then there's going to be some fill in the blanks that only you know the answers to. So I want you to invite, uh, invite you to kind of go along this journey with me. And so it starts in the first step is act one. Everyone say act one. Act one is Peter answered the call. Peter answered the call. This is kind of the very beginning, the first mention of Peter in scripture as we get to know him and know his story. And it, this story starts in Luke 5. And Luke 5 says this. When he had finished p- speaking, Peter said to Simon, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answers, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will de- let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. So there was this moment that was the call for Peter. And this moment actually happened where something broke open in Peter's life. And I think for most of us who call ourselves Christians, there's this kind of, in screenwriting, we call it the inciting incident, that kind of first step, that call, that moment where it's like, okay, this is me before and this is me after. And a lot of times something breaks open in your life or maybe it's just a church service or a camp or a a Sunday school or maybe it's just you're walking on the road one day or maybe it was a conversation with a friend, but there's some moment where you're like, you know what? I am going to accept the call. I'm going to step into the call that Jesus has for me. A lot of our kids right now, my daughter as well, is out at Tag Summer Camp. And last night and the night before, many kids are coming to summer camp and they're coming in one way and they're kind of having a moment with Jesus where they're like, okay, this is a thing for my parents, but I'm actually going to make it a thing for me. I'm going to make it a thing where it's my decision, my choice. I'm in charge of my life and I'm going to follow Jesus and lay my life down to him. And so this is kind of the big idea That happens with Peter. And so I want you to think about this moment for you. If you ever had that moment where you said, you know what, I'm a Christian now. When was that moment in your life? When was that moment that you answered the call? So this is a fill in the blank that only you know. And the fill in the blank is, I answered the call when? And kind of write that moment down. Take a moment, think about it. And so I want you to think back to that moment of when you answered the call. And then the next question I want to ask is, how did you think being a Christian was going to change your life? What did you think was going to be kind of the byproduct of being a Christian? I wonder about it with Peter because Peter uh, had Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And I wonder if Peter thought, wow, that means like this powerful guy who's so powerful, he controls 
fish in the ocean. He's like, Aquaman, this guy is incredible. He's so powerful that, that I'm going to follow him and I'm going to have that same sort of power. I'm going to be a fisher of men. Like Peter was thinking like he ruled over the fish and so maybe the same way he rules over the fish, I'm going to rule over men in that same way. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to be a general. I'm going to be important. That's what following Jesus means. I wonder if that's what Peter thought. I remember for me, I, I was seven years old. It was 1985 uh, when all the stranger kid things were like, or all the stranger things kids were like fighting aliens. In 1985, what I was doing was I was following Jesus. I kind of was uh, seven years old and I said, you know what? I accept Jesus into my life and I'm gonna follow him. And I was a radical seven-year-old for Jesus, like absolutely radical. I would go and uh, I remember these moments. Actually, my mom is here today and she can verify these stories. When I was seven years old, I read the, I read the Bible and I took it to heart. I took it to mean what it said. So I remember reading Mark eleven twenty three, which says this, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So I remember reading that verse and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I lived in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. There was Pikes Peak, America's Mountain, like Purple Mountain Majesty, like that is Pikes Peak. And so I remember going out to my porch and having my Bible open and looking at it and praying, all right, I'm gonna pray for this to be lifted up and I'm gonna lift it up and I'm gonna throw it into Pueblo Reservoir like a Jedi, like that's what being a Christian is. So I thought I was sure it was gonna happen and so I'd pray and I'd kind of look at the mountain and then I'd like open my eyes and uh, it was still there. And my mom was like, maybe it's more of like a metaphor, like maybe it's not like actually moving the mountains, but I believed, I had this belief that it was going to happen. I also remember reading 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, which says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. There was this movie that came out in the like late 70s, playing the 80s, called A Thief in the Night, and it was about like the rapture and what would happen with the rapture. And I was really like at seven years old, like fascinated with the rapture. And I thought like any moment now, I'm gonna be raptured, like it is gonna happen. Like I remember riding my bike one day, and then all of a sudden, like I felt like I heard like like a little bit of drums playing, and I kind of put my bike down, and I was there. And then all of a sudden, I heard it like a trumpet sound, and I was there, and I kind of like opened up my arms like this, and I was like, this is it, this is the moment. I would actually like write in my clothes, like in case raptured, call my mom, like write in a little Sharpie, because I was like, this is it, this is the moment. And so I was there, I was ready for it, and I, I closed my eyes, and then I opened them up, and the high school marching band was over there playing. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I thought that was it, I thought that was the moment. But I was seven years old, I didn't understand what these complicated verses meant. And I was just like, if it's of God, if it's of Jesus, like I want in, I want to follow it. I was following it with complete passion. And so that was me, that was kind of who I was. And I think that's who Peter was. He was just a man who was like, if this is of God, I want it. I'm going to follow it with all my heart, with all my passion. And we see that in Act 2. We see that him actually, like, this action happening in his heart in Act 2, which is this. Peter took a risk. Everyone say Act 2. Act 2, Peter took a risk. The truth is, Peter took a lot of risks. But there's one that's more iconic and transcendent than any other. And that is when Jesus walks in water. It starts in Matthew 14, verse, 40, verse 22. It says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, 
And after he dismissed them, he went to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Pretty amazing. Peter's the only person in human history who we know of that has actually walked on water. But when he saw the wind and waves, he began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And so Jesus kind of um, scolds him in the next few verses and says, you know, you, you're taking your eyes off me, Peter. You're looking at the wind and waves. And we kind of realize, like, okay, Peter took a risk, failed a little bit, but at least Peter took that risk. We love people who are zealous enough and bold enough to take a risk and fail. And that's who Peter is. And we love, as Americans especially, we love this story of the people who are like, you know what, I'm going to be a trailblazers. We love the idea of, the, of taking a risk and failing. There's a few quotes that really come to mind when, with this idea. The greatest basketball player of all time said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games 26 times. I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Michael Jordan. The great Thomas Edison said, many of life's failures are people who do not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison. And then the great theologian said this, failures, repeated failures, are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forward toward success. C.S. Lewis said that. So as Christians, and even just as Americans, as people, as human beings, we love the kind of bold risk takers who will go out, who will step out and do something bold and brave, even if it doesn't go well. And I was certainly like, I kind of talked about being that zealous kid and that was me. I was the risk taker. I was bold and brave. Even sometimes maybe when I shouldn't have been, like I, I told the story about when I was seven years old, when I was eight years old, we took a whole family trip to Disneyland. So me, all my family, we go to Disneyland. There's this long line. We're waiting for a ride. And so I thought, I was kind of at the beginning of the line, and I told mom and dad, like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick while we're still in line. I was like, I'll just catch up to you guys in a moment. I'm like, these lines move pretty quick. I was like, mom, dad, I'm eight years old. I think I'm responsible enough to take care of myself. And so I went and kind of went to the bathroom, and then I came back. And when I came back, it was this huge long line, and I saw my parents nowhere. So I got to the kind of end of the ride, and I kind of waited for them, and I waited for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, and I was like, well, they're never coming back. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I got to do something. I got like, I, <laughs> like, I'm old enough, like I can take my life in my old hands, like what should I do? And so I came up with an idea. I came up with an idea of how to handle this situation as an eight-year-old, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk back to the hotel. So I got on the little tram and then took the little golf cart and took another tram and went and kind of like got dropped off and I walked out of the Disneyland gates and I'm kind of now like little eight-year-old on the streets of LA and just kind of like walking around like, okay, I remember how to get to the hotel. I start walking for like a half hour, 45 minutes and then pretty soon I'm like, I have no idea how to get to this hotel. Like I have no idea where I am. I'm in LA, like what is happening to me? Like I am totally lost. And so now I'm like, my, my zeal is going away and I'm starting to get really terrified. I was like, well, 
this is how it happens. Like, I'm going to be a homeless guy now who lives in L.A. And, like, all, that dude right there probably got lost at Disneyland. Like, that's probably a story. That's what happened to that guy. Give me a cardboard box and a Sharpie. Like, that's my life now. I was eight. I didn't understand how the world worked. So I was there, and then finally I kind of figured out my way back to Disneyland and kind of made it back to the parking lot. And by now, I kind of stepped in the parking lot, and then I just remember so just breaking down crying. I'm just crying in the middle of that parking lot. A security guard comes and, like, finds me, and he says, Hey, son, are you lost? And I was like, maybe. And he's like, he's like come with me. And so he took me to, like, the lost kids section of Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> If you've ever seen like Toy Story and like all the toys that were under the bed that are kind of like misfit toys, that sort of stuff, that's what the lost kids section of Disneyland's like. I walked up to one kid, I was like, how you doing? He's like, I like fire. And I was like, oh, <laughs> all right, man, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand over here. <laughs> so finally I was there in the lost kids section of Disneyland, my parents come and they hug me and I was like, I'll never do that again. I'll never leave you again, mom and dad. And it was just like this moment for me. And it was like, you know what? We, we love how brave you are, but son, you've got to be more careful. They scolded me just like Jesus scolded Peter. Like, you've got to do better, son. And so I remember that moment, but that was, I think there's something like, you hear that story and part of you is like, what are you doing? But part of that story is like, wow, that kid, bravery, fearless, that sort of thing. We love bravery and fearness in someone. But sometimes... The, the bravery can lead to more complications. And for Peter, it was this in Act 3. Act 3 of Peter's story is Peter became disillusioned. At the Last Supper, we've been talking about the Last Supper a bunch in this series. We talked about the Last Supper on Easter Sunday. And at the Last Supper, when Jesus was there with all of his disciples, do you know what Jesus told Peter? He said, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny me three times before tonight ends. And Peter thought, there is no way that will ever happen. He picked the wrong disciple, not me, not Peter, not happening. And so Peter thought that so strongly that the next part of the story is actually they go to the garden to pray, and they go and they pray, and then later that night as they're praying, Jesus tells them, you gotta pray, you gotta press through, you gotta stay strong. But later that night, what happens is they're there, and all of a sudden these guards start coming up over the, over the hill, and they see them guards carrying torches, and right there in the front is Judas. And so all the disciples are completely terrified. They're completely afraid. And I, th I wonder if Peter, in this moment, watching all the disciples so terrified, he thought, Jesus thought I would deny him? Well, I'm going to show how brave I am. I'm going to show how fearless that I am. And so we, and the scripture tells us that Peter actually takes off his sword, runs towards Malchus, and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And I imagine for Peter, this was just like a Braveheart moment where he just had his makeup on and all the disciples were afraid. And Peter was just like, freedom! Boom! And cuts off the ear. Peter thought, you have to understand, Peter thought that Jesus was going to... lead a great revolution, not a revolution of the soul, a military revolution. This was the moment, and Peter was going to be like that person, the shot heard around the world, 1776. He was going to be that sort of the guy, the first person who takes the first stab and starts the revolution. Peter's like, that's who I am. That's what God has for me. That's what this story is. But Jesus said, no, you're wrong, Peter. John 18, 11 says this, Jesus commanded Peter, put your short away. Shall I not drink? The cup the Father's given me? 
Jesus also tells Peter, Peter, you don't understand. You live by the sword. You die by the sword. And so Peter takes this, this next risk, just like walking out of the boat. He takes another risk, but this risk, things completely fall apart. And Je- he watched Jesus be dragged away. And I wonder if as he walks him being dragged away, he becomes completely disillusioned. He was like, oh, this wasn't a great warrior, a great soldier, a great conqueror. He's just a man. And he's going to be dragged away, and they're going to kill him. And I spent all my life, I followed this guy. I dedicated my life to this guy. I spent all my life doing that, and now he's just going to be killed. What a waste. How much did I waste my life? I wonder if Peter thought that. We don't know exactly what Peter thought. But, but we kind of get a sense of it later on. But I want you to think of your, your own story. Have you ever felt disillusioned? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you thought, okay, this is the way things are going to go, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this story is not turning out the way I thought it would. If you've had that moment, go ahead and take a moment and write it down. I felt disillusioned when. Think about it. Write it down. Act four, kind of after this happens, is Peter had a failure of character. Peter had a failure of character. Luke, so we we know Peter denies him. Jesus gets dragged away. And then Luke 22 says this. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him. You're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And what does Peter do? He went outside and wept bitterly. I think if you were thinking of all the disciples and you kind of lined them all up and you said, who would be the most likely to disown Peter? You would say, ah, or not Peter. Who would be the most likely to disown Jesus? You would say, ah, it's not Peter. It's not going to be Peter. Maybe it would be Judas. Maybe it'd be Thomas. That guy doubts everything. Maybe it'd be Thaddeus. That guy never talks. We don't even know what he's thinking. Maybe it'd be Philip. Maybe it'd be James. Maybe it'd be John. But the last person we would ever think would disown him is Peter. Peter is the one who's fearless. Peter is the one who's most passionate. He would not be the one who fails Jesus. He would not be the one who disowns Jesus. And I think what's so powerful about this story is, is Peter has a complete failure of character. This failure goes against everything that he says, everything that he believes, everything that he's been talking about for the years and years of Jesus. Have you ever had a failure of character? Have you ever done something that is completely antithetical to who you are? Or maybe this. Have you ever had someone in your life who's had a failure of character? Someone who you thought, oh, I see them, they're one way, and then they do something that completely violates that, and you're like, oh, this person is not who I thought it was. Have you ever had that happen? I have. And it, it, rips, it rips you away. But I think these failures of character, these complete 
breakdowns of who you are, they don't happen out of nowhere. There's a pattern that goes, and it, st- it starts with this. It starts with hope from the call, hope from the call. Then we get zealous. Then there's disillusionment when things don't turn out like we want it to. And then finally, there's a failure of character. And so I want to say this to you this morning, One Chapel Kyle. If you're feeling disillusioned about something, that's poison in your heart and your soul. And if that disillusion is there, I promise you, if you don't deal with it, one day it's going to lead you to fail in a way that you thought was never possible. And so when you feel that disillusionment creeping in, when you thought, oh, I thought life with God was going to turn out like this. I thought life with my family is going to turn out like this. I thought life with my career was going to turn out like this. And then all of a sudden, those expectations aren't met and things start to pull apart and unravel and that disillusionment comes in like, maybe this is all fake. Maybe this is not what I thought it was. Maybe everyone around me is kind of a hypocrite. When that bitterness and disillusionment takes control of you, eventually you're going to be the one who does something that was like, oh, wow, I never would have thought that was possible. Peter from the boat, the early Peter who fell in love with Jesus there, if Peter from the boat could have saw Peter deny Jesus three times, he would have looked at himself and said, what are you doing? How is that possible? How could you deny him? How did that happen? And the reason that happens is because he had this picture of how things were supposed to turn out. He had this picture of the way that he wanted it to be. And eventually it didn't turn out that way. He became disillusioned. And then he completely denied Jesus, even though Jesus said he would. That's the story of Peter. But that's not the final chapter of the story of Peter. That's the good news. But I want you to take a moment, and this is just you, this is just you and God, And if you want to be honest with yourself, you don't have to share these notes with anyone. This is just you tracking your own story. But you can write down, I failed when, and kind of write that moment down. This was my moment. This is when I had a failure of character. This whole story leads us back to the table. Because in Act 5, Peter was reinstated. Peter was reinstated. This happens in John 21. And and this is an interesting story because it's very much like the first story that I read today in Luke chapter 5. And so this is here, and Peter is once again uh, on his boat. But this this story is after, after the denial, after Jesus was crucified. Everything falls apart in Peter's life. And what does Peter do? He goes back to the only thing he knows how to do, which is fish. I can imagine him on that boat, which he thought, I thought I was going to be this great leader, this great person next to Jesus' side, and now here I am fishing just like my dad did, my dad before him, and that's all my life is going to be. And so Peter was there on the boat fishing. And it says, Simon Peter climbed back onto the boat and dragged the net of the shore. So in the middle of this story, Jesus goes and once again tells him to cast the net over to the other side, and this time it was full of 153 fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of them dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and he gave it to him. And he did the same with the fish. So now Jesus is at at the table with them, only this time they're just on the shore, kind of eating together. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's really interesting that Jesus does this three times. He does it once for each denial. He kind of washes each denial away with each question that he asks him. And what's really important about this story is this is not Peter and Jesus sitting off to the side, kind of on a walk by themselves. This is Peter and Jesus amidst the other disciples. And Jesus looks at all the disciples and says, you know what? I still see value in Peter. He failed. You know it. You know his story. You know what happened to him, but his call is not over. That fail does not break his relationship with me. That fail does not break who I said he was going to be. That is what the gospel story is. Is Peter, you can recover from this. And I promised you on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter, that is still the case for you and for your story. And that's what this reinstatement of Peter is all about. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so important for us to do things publicly as Christians. That's part of the reason why we're going to go down to Zilker Park and people are going to be baptized actually in the most public place that any baptism I've ever been to, which is in Zilker Park, like with the hippies and the dogs and like all the things. Like I love it there. It's my place, man. And so that, like in the midst of that, people are going to be and it's like, do you love Jesus? And it's like, yeah, last year it was like <laughs> we were down there in the midst of Zilker Park and people were saying, I love Jesus. And people were on the shore and they're like, that is so cool. And they're cheering for him and giving high fives and raising a beer like Jesus. And like, they didn't know what was happening. They're just like, this is great. <laughs> like, my dog's name is Jesus. This is awesome, man. <laughs> they didn't know, but they loved that passion. They loved that enthusiasm. And there's something that happens when we b- publicly declare, okay, I'm going to follow you. Amen. It's not this private thing. It's not this secret thing in our life. It's public. It's out in the open. And Peter failed publicly, and for a lot of you, if you've ever failed, I know I've failed in my life, and that failure sometimes has been public. Sometimes people have known, and they've whispered about it. Did you know what he did? Do you know what she did? Do you know what happened in their marriage? It's a public thing. And so that shame can be public, but what the gospel story is, is redemption is also public restoration is also public. It's also like God is in the middle of your failures and he can take broken things and he can restore them and he can make them new. That is what this story is about. That is what this table is about. And so I know for some of you it's like, okay, I believe this or I want to believe this. And maybe for some of you, you feel really close to God right now. Maybe you feel distant to him. But I want you to think about this. Think about the time you felt closest to God. Think about it in your life. And even if you've never accepted God as part of your life, think about the time where it's like, okay, the idea of God or the possibility of God, there, when was that felt closest? And I want you to write that down. I felt closest to God when? And fill in the blank. And for some of you, if you feel distant from God, Sometimes it's just little steps. I liked what David said of just that little step and that little lean that can make a difference. Because a lot of times we want to do it all at once. I remember uh, I was in high school and I was, I was you know, I, I was kind of this zealous eighth grader like Jesus, but then 
in high school, I became more of the like rebellious pastor kid. And my pastor was named, my youth pastor was named Chris Hodges. Uh, and he's one of our overseers now at One Chapel. But he was my youth pastor at New Life then. And he was there and I was kind of getting into trouble. And I remember him pulling me aside. And he's like, Rob, you keep making like all these crazy decisions. I was like, I know I'm crazy. I can't help it. He's like, Rob, you can do better. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, Rob, can you go one year without sinning? How about you do this? Take your junior year and just don't sin. Take that whole year and go without sinning. And I said, Chris, there's no way I can go one year without sinning. He's like, okay. Can you go one month without sinning? One month with just kind of following Jesus and stepping into this one month. And I was like, I, I'm a human. I don't think it's possible. He's like, okay. Can you go one day without sinning? One full day all the way through. Wake up in the morning, sundown. Can you go one day without sinning? I was like, I don't know. He's like, okay. Can you go one hour without sinning? And I was like, ah, maybe. I have crazy thoughts. I don't know. One, uh, he's like, okay, Rob, can you go one minute without sinning? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. He said, Rob, can you go one second without sinning? Just one second. Can you do that? And I was like, Chris, yes, I can go one second without sinning. He said, well, then, Rob, you live life by the second. And it changed my perspective. It was just like sometimes I take on my whole life and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do this following Jesus thing right. I don't know if this disillusionment's going to come back. I don't know if this fear is going to come back. I don't know if this failure is going to come back. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Don't take it all on. That's not what God has for you. It's just second by second, moment by moment. Like, okay, I'm stepping into this thing. I'm following Jesus. That's what this story's about. So I want to actually invite the band to come on up here. We're going to close out today. And this is the end of uh, the table series. But I think, I'm, I think I'm speaking to everyone today, but I think I'm speaking to a particular group of people here who it was like, you know, I've felt my heart, I've felt my thoughts, I've felt my life drifting from Jesus, drifting from my call drifting from my faith. Or maybe it's just that story of Peter and being passionate. I had that passion early on, but now I don't know if I have that passion like I used to. I want to invite you this morning to say, listen, if you feel distant from God, that distance is not something God has created. That distance is something that you're feeling in your own heart, in your own life, in your own soul. And you can close that distance to say, by just saying, okay, God, here I am. I want to follow you again. I want to walk closer to you again. So in just a moment here, we're going to take communion together as a church family, and we invite everyone, everyone here, whether you call one chapel your church home or not, you are invited to the table. You're invited to take communion. If you don't want to for any reason, there's no pressure here, but we want to say we're all here together, brothers and sisters of Christ kind of breaking bread, taking communion together, sitting at that shore with Jesus and saying, okay, I want to do this. I want to follow you. I want to follow you, you the way that I did when I felt closest to you. And so we're going to take communion in just a moment here. I'm going to pray. And then I just invite you to take some time and just pray and worship as we take communion together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every soul here. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your story. I thank you for showing us that the way that you told Peter, I love you, I forgive you, feed my sheep, that same way is what you're calling us to do today. 
not to do anything great with our lives for ourselves, Lord, but to do great for others, to do great because you have called us to more. So we pray these things. I ask that you would come into this place. I ask that you would make yourself real. In your name. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.